There are certain things that I think to tell my children on a regular basis. You see, the bus stop is at the end of the lane, right down the road or right down the pathway from my front door. And I thought to myself, what could I tell my kids every single day I bring them to the bus stop? Something that they can hang their hat on. I thought maybe if I died young, they could tell people, my dad always said this, and that it would be a compelling, moving sort of thing. It would orient their hearts and their minds to things that I think are valuable. So I thought, and I thought, and I came up with it. Be kind and make good decisions. I know I'm not going to win a Pulitzer Prize for that phrase, but those are some important values I want my kids to take with them wherever they go. I want them to be kind, and I want them to make good choices, good decisions. So not long ago, we were just in Illinois, in fact, and talking to some old friends, and their kids were around, and I said to my kids in front of them, you know how parents like to make their children perform a little bit? I said, what's the thing the dad always tells you at the bus stop? And the girls go, ugh. Be kind, make the decisions, yeah, yeah. But why could they be so uh about it? Is it because I say it all the time? There are certain things that we say ad nauseum. They feel the milieu around us, don't they? You could probably think of somebody who's got a, a standard phrase, or maybe you have one yourself that you used often to maybe make a point. My dad, I remember my dad would often say, Son, you can talk the talk, but you really got to walk the walk. I even know that's how he's going to respond if I come home from a round of golf and brag a little. It's not good enough just to talk the talk. You got to. And it fills out my mentality about the way I see the world. Why am I talking about this? Well, we read a scripture that has the Lord's Prayer, a version of the Lord's Prayer in it. And I venture to guess there are billions of Christians around the world that said that prayer today, this morning. We say it every worship service. We say it every week. Sometimes it's a prayer that I'll pray at nighttime. Sometimes when I'm praying with my son, I'll pray it before he goes to bed. It is a prayer that is ubiquitous in Christian churches, Catholic and Protestant alike. It doesn't matter. The Lord's Prayer is a pretty big deal. Can we all agree on that? Yet, if it's such a big deal, why do we come in Luke's Gospel to this point where it says, basically, on a random day, the disciples say, how do we pray? And Jesus said, well, here's some words for you. If it's such a big deal, if it's supposed to be the prayer, how come St. Luke doesn't say it was March the 13th on a Thursday at 3 p.m. when Jesus dropped the prayer bomb on us? No. It's a particular day in some place. No event surrounding it is notable to the Gospel writer. Why do you suppose that is? Why does it seem so mundane in the text? My theory is that it's so mundane because it is something that Jesus said a lot. Like, be kind and make good decisions. It filled out the attitude that he carried around 
all the time. It filled out verbiage that he spoke all the time. It was a prayer, a similar prayer that he prayed probably all the time. It was part of the heart of Christ, you see. And so it's everywhere. Everywhere in his life. Everywhere in his ministry. And that's why St. Luke says, ah, it was just one day. On some occasion. Jesus said those words that his disciples knew all too well already. He says, make God's name holy. That's hallowed, right? That's a fancy word for holy. Make God's name holy. Reverence God. Ask for forgiveness for your sins. Thank God for your food and ask for God to meet your every need. And then my most favorite of all parts in this version, we pray for God's kingdom come. In another version, and the one we pray as a community, we say God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, that is actually the shape of Christianity. And I don't mean to offend you. I might offend some of you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And here it is. That hymn, I'll fly away, not quite biblical. I know, I grew up singing it in my own church, and I played the drums to it. Really hard to play drums to some of those old hymns, John. But I have to play those little beats behind these old school southern hymns. But really, when you read scripture, you don't have this hope that says, we're going to escape this place. We're going to run away. We're going to fly away. Well, actually, we hear about is heaven, but what we find is that heaven comes here. That the abode of God gets married to the created abode. That God makes his home and dwelling with creatures once again. Read Revelation. Read 1 Corinthians 15. The escapist theology comes from Plato and Descartes and the Manichaeans and, and, the, and all these different isms and ideas that come out from the Western world. But biblically speaking, what we're hoping for is God's kingdom or God's ways to rule and reign over our world. We're waiting for God to come and be with us. We're waiting for heaven to come to our everyday life. That's the shape of gospel hope. Have you ever felt heaven? Have you ever noticed heaven just maybe in a moose bush? Just a little bit of it here or there. Oh, I've seen heaven. I've seen heaven when I've seen two people forgive each other. The other day, actually, this is a, this is a raw, true story. My best friend growing up was a kid who kind of picked on me, like a lot. And we moved apart from each other. He ran into my parents. We were back in Illinois for a buddy's wedding. And he wanted to see me. He said he was proud of me. He was impressed by me. All these things. So my mom and dad gave him my number. And I don't go see him because I was busy doing wedding stuff. He called me up. I was here in the office while the kids were doing vacation Bible school. He tells me he's going to First Christian Church. That's my home church. He tells me he got baptized by Pastor Leonard. That, that guy was a couple years behind me in my same college studied for the ministry together. And then he said, I'm very sorry for everything I ever did. And I thought, good Lord, people can change? 
I'm in the pastor business, and I kind of gave up the idea that people could change. It was a little bit of heaven. It's a little bit of heaven. Last week, I was back in Illinois for my, one of my best friend's weddings. And back in the day, we had like a roster of about 100 young adult folks. About 50 would show up on average to our Sunday night events. And I guess about 30 to 40 of them were there at this wedding. There's something about being around people who knew you before who you are right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm not Reverend Doctor to them. No. No. I'm a joke. <laughs> but you look at people in the eyes, and you dance with them, and you celebrate someone else's love. It's a bit of heaven. You see heaven. You see heaven when you help another person who needs help. You see a slice of heaven when you give yourself away as a gift to other people. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the shape of a prayer that Jesus not only lived, but taught us to pray. And why do you think that is? Why are we reading this prayer in Scripture? Why are we saying it every week? Because it's supposed to change you. It's supposed to form your moral imagination. Some random day, someone asked a question, how do you pray? And Jesus told them what he'd already been telling them for years. That's what I think. And he told them to dream of a world where heaven lives right next to you. Can you see it? Can you dream of a heaven right now? Can you live in such a way as to live in the kingdom now? Can you bring heaven with you wherever you go?